today on CityCast Denver. East Colfax is a vibrant, tight-knit community. It's a place where many new immigrants and refugees find a home in the city. Right on the border of Aurora, it's also one of the most diverse neighborhoods in Denver. But at the same time, East Colfax experiences gun violence at higher rates than other neighborhoods. And some community members feel like the city has just stopped listening. So I've covered public safety off and on for about eight years. And that area has always had a lot of problems and been neglected. All those issues came together around the recent shooting of a community member named Ma Kang. And Denver Post reporter Noelle Phillips has been reporting on the aftermath. So I invited her on to help me see the bigger picture. Today is Wednesday, August 10th, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Noelle Phillips, welcome back to CityCast Denver. Thanks for having me. I'd love to start by having you tell me a little bit about Ma Kang. Who was she? Like, what did you learn from her friends and family? So Ma Kang lived in the Hiddenbrook Apartments in Denver's East Colfax neighborhood. Um, And she was just like a well-known, beloved member of the community. She and her family had immigrated from... Burma or Myanmar, depending on which you prefer, in 2007 and had found their way to Denver. And she was just one of these people that took care of everybody in spite of like her own life having some tragedy. I understand that when they were moving, leaving Myanmar, they went to, I think, Thailand first. And I don't know exactly what happened, but they lost a child, a daughter there um, and then they made it to the U.S. with their oldest son and another daughter. She and her husband had two more boys once they got to Colorado, and they worked their butts off. And this year they had opened a restaurant called Tall Wen over on Yosemite along the Denver-Aurora border, which that had been a family goal to open that restaurant. And the other family goal was to buy a house. Um, when I talked to her son, Kya, I hope I'm saying that correctly, he said, my mother believed the more good stuff you did, the more you give back. When you pass away, you'll be treated well. My mother was willing to help anybody. It didn't matter the background or what skin color or what language you spoke. It didn't matter at all. She said, it's good to help and give back. People remember you by this. People are remembering my mother this way because she was always helping. So can you briefly explain what happened to Ma on July 15th? Yeah, so she and her family had closed their new restaurant and they knew somebody that wanted them to bake desserts for the next day. And Kira said, you know, my mom would do it not just for the money, but because she knew somebody wanted these desserts to have a good party. And my mom wanted them to have a good party. So we stayed at the restaurant and baked those. And they were bringing the pans of the dessert back to their apartment at Hidden Brook. And there's a park nearby called New Freedom Park and people started shooting and one of the bullets went ripping through the night and hit Ma as she was carrying a pan of desserts into the apartment building from her car. 
New tonight, we are hearing from friends of a woman who was killed Friday night, a victim of gun violence. Ma Kane was a mother of four living at the Hiddenbrook Apartments. She had just opened a restaurant. I'm familiar with Hiddenbrook. I did some uh, community work over there, and I know what a... I mean, it's such an overused term, but it's a vibrant, it's an apart, it's an apartment complex, but it's this like, it's a community of people that really like, it's a very active, friendly place. And yeah, that just, I mean, also she's just at her home. Yeah. Working to reach her American dream of owning her own business and buying a house this year. And then jackasses with guns, just Ugh. carelessly shooting. The one of the reports I got from the city of Denver, they have a shot spotter system over there that detects gunshots, detected 30 gunshots, just bullets flying and one hits Ma. While police have released few details on the incident, community members say she was an unintended target in the wrong place at the wrong time. This is obviously very much a gun violence issue for sure. but. You also uncovered something else in your reporting. What did residents tell you about their experience calling 911? Residents over there have a lot of complaints about dialing 911. Uh, they say dispatchers can be rude um, when mm. there's a language barrier. They get hung up on. Police response times are slow. And these are like not complaints that just center around Ma's shooting death, but they've been happening over there for a while. Ma's shooting death put the spotlight on it. And one of the problems that specifically happens over there is it's right on the Denver Aurora line. So when you call from a cell phone, when you're along the border, it may not go to the correct dispatcher or 911 call center. So Ma's daughter, I believe, was the first person to dial 911. She was calling from Verizon. The call went to Aurora. And we don't know if a faster response to Ma's shooting death would have saved her life. We don't know. But it's certainly an important issue to take up over there. Yeah. There's technology now called um, location-based routing or geospatial routing that uses GPS data and some other stuff that I don't completely understand to more accurately pinpoint where you're actually standing and route the call that way. And it's not 100% reliable, but it's better than pinging the tower. Noelle, did you talk to Verizon about this? So initially, Verizon really said nothing to me. Um, <laughs> so T-Mobile and AT&T put in place location-based routing this year. Verizon said that they believe that it's upon the 911 authorities in the states to come up with these solutions for themselves, and they weren't responsible for doing it. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. 
There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. I know that after the shooting, there was this community meeting to address various issues in the community, but, you know, Ma's death really spurred this this community gathering um, because folks were concerned about this lack of a timely response from emergency personnel. But can you tell me what happened at that meeting? Yeah, so it was a really emotional meeting. There were, like, I think everybody that spoke cried. Um, and there was one thing I wanted to talk about because there was this man that lived in that neighborhood who went by the street named Goro and he was an immigrant from Africa and had come here with his mother several years ago and he was really involved with street fraternity which is a nonprofit in that neighborhood that tries to keep young men occupied and busy and away out of trouble and in fact Ma, Ma's son is a member of it there was another young man who was killed last year in that neighborhood that was a close friend of Goro's, and he was killed at a 7-Eleven across the street on Colfax. Mm -hmm. Goro would go over there every day and pray for his friend. And Goro was over there praying this spring and got shot and killed in front of the 7-Eleven. And so he and Ma were friends, and there were pictures on the wall in the basement meeting room of Hiddenbrook of Goro and Ma together at community events. And so this community has not recovered from the loss of Goro. And now we have Ma and like Goro's best friend brought Goro's mother and Goro's was the only, her only child. And they'd escaped violence in their home country to come here. And she doesn't speak English. And it, I mean, the whole thing was just Ma's friends were crying. Everybody was crying and everybody had these like emotional stories about violence People they knew that were hurt or killed, violence they had witnessed, slow response to 911 calls. It was just like I had to get Kleenex myself uh, to wipe tears a couple of times because it was just so emotional. So I know this was a gathering to talk about this issue. I know there was a response from um, Councilwoman Amanda Sawyer. This is her district. What can you say about what she said at this at this community meeting to the community? Yeah. So the point of this meeting was to bring in public officials. So you had Chief Paul Pazin, you had uh, Dameron, the 911 director, and Amanda Sawyer was there, uh, the EMS chief was there. So we had a lot of public officials, and it was made very clear that you were here to listen to these residents talk and yeah. hear their stories and listen. So... Um, Dameron was up talking about the 911 response and the residents were pretty hot. Amanda Sawyer taps him on the back and kind of like directs him to sit down. And then she gets up and she looks at Ma's son and, you know, says that, you know, she's sorry that she was killed and wishes she was here. But then started talking to the neighborhood about everyone up here is working their asses off, but we need your help. And brought up a park cleanup that she had sponsored on a weekend and no one from the neighborhood showed up to help. And people were 
mad. And so Sharon Knight, who's the CEO of Hope Communities, which runs Hiddenbrook, was trying to take the microphone away from her. There was this young woman with the East Colfax Community Collaborative who had just told this like heartbreaking story about someone getting stabbed to death outside of her apartment. And she was over there like leaning on a friend's shoulder crying and her friend like had her hands on her knees and her head down and was sobbing when Amanda Sawyer started talking and people were just like couldn't believe that they were getting a lecture about <sighs> how this was their responsibility in this environment, in this situation. And one thing that struck me is Ma and Goro, who were both killed in that neighborhood by gun violence, were involved in their communities and volunteered and helped. Right. So it's not like people aren't doing anything to help themselves over there. So it, it caused a lot of pain. It was like really painful to watch the people respond to that and like the pain in that community. And it just seemed to be worsened by those comments. Yeah. The last thing you want to hear is that you didn't do enough when you know the person that just died was one of the people that literally did the most. Mm -hmm. So let's fast forward to last week. Um, you reported that Verizon had sort of changed their tune. What what did they say? When I was first reporting that story, and, you know, I was interviewing 911 experts in Denver and the state and found out, like, you know, there's three major carriers in the U.S. and Verizon is one of them. But Verizon wasn't doing what the other two were. So when I was reporting that story, I sent multiple emails to Verizon asking, hey, working on the story, what do you have to say? No response whatsoever from them. So, you know, I wrote the story. I had a letter that someone from Verizon had sent to Denver's 911 office explaining themselves. So I used that. And then there was another community meeting last Tuesday, no, last Wednesday. And after that, Verizon sent a statement to another reporter in town, not me, who had been asking and originally reporting, saying, oh, we've, we're going to do this. We still don't necessarily think it's the best way to do things, but we'll do it nationwide now. And so then I reached out to Verizon. I was like, hey, I saw you sent this to another reporter. I would like to have a copy of that statement. <laughs> anyway, Verizon says starting in January, they will start rolling out this location-based routing for 911 calls nationwide. Now, will Denver and Colorado be first? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Well, and I know that um, you wouldn't necessarily want to make this connection, but I see your work pushing that response. Like you highlighted something that I have to say Verizon has to know is an issue, right? Mm -hmm. The community has said before, we have trouble with getting our 911 calls routed and all of these things. So I think your reporting just brought something to light. I hope so. And thank you. I want to tie all this together because you've done such a wonderful job with laying out these issues, Noelle, is, um, you know, we've got the Verizon issue with the service. We have the 911 issue with how folks are treated. We have this gun violence issue in this community that's very tightly knit. And then we have um, representatives from the city not accurately or at least responding in a human way. What is the bigger picture of what's going on here in East Colfax, do you think? So I've covered public safety off and on for about eight years. And that area has always had a lot of problems yeah. and been neglected. There's a lot of immigrants and refugees from all over the world. That meeting at Hiddenbrook 
had five languages being interpreted in that one room. Wow. And so it's an area that's probably easy to overlook because there's not a lot of money. There's not a lot of political clout. And you just go, oh, well. But it's a, it's a problem for both cities. Both cities are responsible for that area. And so while East Colfax neighborhood is technically in Denver, people move back and forth across that line all day long. And that's not the first time I've covered something awful over there. Noel, do you think that this tragedy of losing Ma King will change anything? Well, it changed Verizon. Mm. So there's one change. I mean, the residents were very vocal about that. And, you know, I appreciate you giving credit to the Denver Post, but the folks that live in that community need credit because they're the ones who have been loud and said enough was enough and forced, you know, somebody to pay attention. Well, Noelle, thank you so much. This was really helpful in understanding what's going on in the community. Of course. Thanks for having me. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. For too many years, a racist plaque hung on the outside of a brick building in Lodo, commemorating what it called the quote-unquote Chinese riot of 1880. But that riot was in fact an anti-Chinese riot that led to the destruction of Denver's Chinatown and the death of a Chinese man named Look Young. Recently, a group of local AAPI community members have been organizing to get the plaque taken down. And earlier this week, it finally happened. According to Rocky Mountain PBS, leaders of Colorado Asian Pacific United stood alongside Mayor Michael Hancock and removed the racist plaque on Monday. For more on the campaign that led to this moment and the history of Denver's old Chinatown, I'm going to put a link to my interview with CAPU member and CU Boulder historian Dr. William Way in the show notes. And finally, the city of Denver has agreed to pay nearly $48,000 to settle a discrimination claim over accessibility at Red Rocks. According to the Colorado Sun, the Department of Justice found that more than 10% of people who purchased wheelchair-accessible seats were charged disproportionately more for those seats, which is a violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye! Oh. <laughs>